Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I think the thing that got me inspired but also touched me was the quietness. Quietness under the water. I tried to stay under there as long as I could, and the only reason I learned to hold my breath for a long period of time is so that I could stay under there longer. I might touch a rock and just think to myself, I wonder if anyone else has touched this rock, or I wonder if anyone else has seen this view. It's very empowering to be in that space. How many people have survived at sea for three nights and four days? Submerged in the water? No one. People have uh, survived out at sea in boats, um, capsized vessels and stuff like that, but not actually submerged in the water. I had a snorkel, which was attached to my dive mask. Uh, I had a dive hood on. I had a vest on, uh, with, uh, which was attached to the trousers. I also had a uh, jacket, a pair of gloves. On the back I had a BCD, which was a uh, flotation device. I had a dive cylinder which was attached to the regulators. I had a dive knife uh, on my uh, left calf, and then I had two flippers and, uh, and a set of booties. With me, I also had a uh, catch bag, which was yellow, and in there I had uh, a crayfish and four kidna. I got caught driving while under the influence of, uh, of alcohol, and, and I thought my whole world had turned upside down. I ended up going to court and lost my licence for six months. As soon as that happens, then in the Defence Force you lose your security clearance. So where I was working at the time, I needed a security clearance. Afterwards, after the DIC and all of that, uh, I was only offered a one-year extension. I thought I'd given my life to the Navy, 20 years, and they only offered me a one-year extension. I thought I was worth more than that. My day-to-day life was one of confusion, of mixed emotions, because I was still in the Navy and it was getting closer and closer for for me to leave. Every day I'd wake up and I'd go check my emails, seeing if there was any emails from the Navy saying, hey, we want you to stay for another 10 years, but but there was nothing. And for a person who likes uh, day-to-day routine, yeah, this, this sort of stuff was just playing havoc. I didn't know what I was going to do, okay? So I took what they call resettlement leave. After 20 years or 15 years, you're entitled to uh, two months, leave the Navy on full pay and go out and see what it is you want to do. So I was doing that at that time. You were on your resettlement leave? I was on my resettlement leave when I went diving. To now move into this space as a recreational diver, where they say the most important thing is don't touch the coral, at the beginning it was sort of a um, a little bit of a downer. They don't do good uh, maintenance. 
They don't check their gear as well as well as what we were. The civilian divers, they'd grab their wetsuit out of one trunk and their dive gear out of another bag and a cylinder from underneath the house. And I'm sort of thinking, no, 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 I, I need a little bit more control over this. Here I am, I'm sitting on the boat. I've got my black navy wetsuit on. I've got my little tether on my arm and I'm ready to go. The uh, head diver of the day, he said, oh, bro, we don't dive like that here. So take that off your arm. The tether on my arm attaches me to another diver and that's how we dived in the Navy. Diver number one, he would have a bit of rope which is then attached to a buoy and the buoy's floating around on the water. And straight under the buoy is where the diver is. When When I'm with this dive group... I'm ready to go with my little boy tether rope connected to, to the diver. Uh, when I was told not to, um, we don't dive like that, then I took it all off. On the morning of Sunday the 5th of February 2006, Rob Hewitt of Ngāti Kahungunu set out for a day diving at sea with a group of men who liked to collect seafood. His 20-year career in the Navy, the last five of which were spent as a dive instructor, was coming to an end. Rob's work as a military diver involved checking the propellers of warships, welding underwater, inspecting wharves for damage, working with mines and explosives, and recovering bodies. On this day, though, a group of eight men were going diving off the coast of Kapiti to explore and to find crayfish, scallops and kinna. Rob knew three of the eight men in the group and was introduced to the rest that morning. He and another diver paired up to explore in the deep for their first dive of the day. As a trained Navy man, new to recreational diving, and working without the equipment he was used to, Rob's mind turned to safety, his own and that of his new friend. He watched over his dive buddy, who gathered crayfish into his catch bag. Rob saw himself and this man as a team, each focused on a different task. When the two men surfaced, Rob was surprised to see his dive buddy dropping the catch into his own container, not offering to share the bounty. Rob understood now that every man was diving for himself, and he resolved to make the most of his last dive of the day. This is Fathom, qualified by experience. So um, I go down for my second dive. My mindset's changed now. Yeah, this is more, okay, uh, I'll stay under here as long as I can. I'll get as much as I can. And you fellas can just stick that. You know, stuff everyone else. I'll do it and I'll get the biggest and the most. So I went down there. Uh, I had a little cut of care to Tangaroa. I just had a prayer. Five minutes later, I see a crayfish. I grab the crayfish, chunk it in my bag, get round the corner, and I see 30 of them. 20 or 30 crayfish just sitting in this little crevice. And I remember getting my plan together, moving at the back of these um, crayfish, and then all of a sudden I just got caught into a rip. I'm spiralling around, looking at these crayfish, and they're just clinging on to the rocks. And then uh, I end up finding that I'm about 800 metres on the stern of the boat at the southern end of uh, Mana Island. And, uh, yeah, 800 metres out at sea is a long way. 
you know, especially the only thing that's shown is, uh, is your head. Rob surfaced alone, about 30 minutes after he'd gone under. The group he was with knew he could stay under the water longer than them. In the Navy, he'd learned to skip breathe, slowing his inhale, holding his breath, slowing his exhale. No one expected to see him for another hour or so. The distance between he and the boat was more than the length of five rugby fields. He called out, but he was shouting into the wind, and no one could hear him. So I acknowledge that, yes, I need help, but covertly, if I'm thinking about it, do I want to get rescued? Navy diver Rob Hewitt gets rescued. That's not a good look for the Navy. That's not a good look for me. Or do I want to rescue myself? By swimming to the shore, um, I did try and swim against the tide. Uh, After about half an hour, 45 minutes, I realised it was pushing me back. Then I thought to myself, right, swim on a 45-degree angle. The tide and the wind will push me towards Pukerua Bay. So I thought, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll aim for that. But then cramps started setting in. I'd had no lunch, and it was about 4 or 5 o'clock in the evening. So now tiredness and exhaustion was starting to kick in. Well, so I thought. Uh, so I thought to myself, well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just lie here. I'll keep all my gear. Just wait. They'll find me. You know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock at night. Seven o'clock comes along, next minute the sun's starting to go down. And I've been in the water for about maybe six hours. All I have to do is just hang on. But as soon as the sun goes down, it just brings in a whole different dimension. I see the boats leaving, I see the Westpac helicopter leaving, and I think to myself, after 36 years or 35 years uh, on this earth, you know, it's just come down to five hours and that's your life. Are you afraid? The first thing I think about is who do I know that survived out at sea? And it quickly comes back, no one. 20 years in the Navy, no one. I've got to face my greatest fear. And my greatest fear at that point in time was death. I'd recovered bodies before that had been submerged in the water, been in the water for a long period of time, and uh, there's not much left. Maybe if I reconnect to God, apologise to God for all the sinful things that I've done in my time, maybe he'll allow me to die peacefully. So as soon as I apologised and as soon as I prayed, I just felt the sensation. Okay, everything's going to be all right now. Everything's going to be all right if I survive or if I die. At 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm exhausted. I lie in the water. Uh, and I sleep for about half an hour, which seemed like an eternity. I wake up and I'm not too sure if I'm dead or alive. Every time I fall asleep and wake up, first thing I'd do is I'd try and look around just to see if I was dead or alive. How could you tell? Well, yeah, once I see a bird or a plane. It wasn't until the second day that, uh, that, that I started eating the sea urchins or the kinna. I think to myself, well, I'm a military diver, Navy man, uh, these kinners, I'll have one every hour. 20 minutes later, I'm down to my last kinner. Yeah. As soon as the body felt that, 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 that iron and that nutrition come in, you, know, you lose all control and you, you're in it. On the second day, uh, I saw no boats at all. The wind was high. Uh, it, was, it was a beautiful morning. And then 6, 7 o'clock it started to pank up. 
I knew that uh, there'd be no helicopters, no fixed-wing aircraft and no boats out there. So all I had to do uh, was just hold on until this uh, inclement weather passed over uh, and then uh, a nice day would appear. I see all of these dolphins popping up and around, be little smart alecks and stuff like that. And all I'm thinking of is how do I attract their attention? I recall programs like Flipper. I call under the water. I call out to these guys, kia ora, kia ora. And dolphins will come along. I'll jump on the back of the dolphin and I'll ride it to the island. And it was crazy, weird things like that, which then past time lifted my wairua. Well, all I'm giving myself is hope. From there, uh, I see a bird and I try and throw my knife at the bird to try and hit it. And then I swim over and grab the knife. And then all of a sudden I see a, a dorsal fin, which I know is a dorsal fin of a shark. I grab my little knife and every noise I hear, I turn around and thrash out, ready to kill the shark. I'm putting a plan together. If the shark comes, I need to kill the shark. I need to eat the shark. But if I kill the shark and eat the shark, and blood's in the water, then more sharks will come. If more sharks come, I need the sharks to bite my head off so I can die quickly. You know, all of these things are going through my mind. The shark, when I first saw it, I thought it was about three to five metres away. I never saw that shark again. And then five hours later, I put my knife away. By the time he's been alone at sea, submerged up to his neck in cold water with the distant shore rising and falling, in and out of sight, but impossible to reach for two days. Rob's energy has faded. He's losing hope and can't keep negative thoughts from creeping in. I I thought I'd had enough. Um, I'll just kill myself. I'll drink as much salt water as I can. How far down that road did you go? Um, I was uh, spewing up bile and then all of a sudden because I had no food or anything like that I was dehydrated, I blacked out after I woke up the shame that I felt because I knew that I was stronger than that that's where I really started to believe in myself Uh, routine, I love routine so every half an hour I'd take off my wetsuit take off my dye bottle roll the dye bottle around put the dye bottle back on make sure it's all tight, knowing that I was a Navy diver, and the first two days allowed me to survive. Rob didn't have a watch. He'd gifted his Navy watch to an uncle only a couple of months earlier, so his sense of time was dictated by the light. And he passed the seconds, minutes and hours by trying to keep his mind occupied, and his body as warm and comfortable as he could. I knew the sun would rise probably about five o'clock, half past four. I should see a glimpse of light. Uh, It'll get dark around half past nine. I just had to hang on for those hours. I I had to keep myself busy. I had to get into a routine. Right down from how I was going to go to the toilet. It was all about, okay, how am I going to do this? I was laid on my back and I'm pushing the wet, uh, the hot water all over myself, you know, because I want to stay warm. So those are the things that I'm thinking about. And I'm not thinking about it over a five-minute period. I'm thinking about how I'm going to do this over two or three hours. 
I'd take the jacket off, I'd put the jacket around the BCD and the diode cylinder, and then all I'd do is just open up the wetsuit to let cold water come through. That cold water was itching the itches I couldn't reach because by now sea lice was getting in and starting to starting to get through the body. And yeah, taking a wetsuit off, doing that, uh, probably another hour and a half. So all I was doing was just killing time and, and allowing time to pass by. It was when I didn't have anything to keep my mind occupied that was a dangerous part. Day three was the hottest day. Um, there was not a cloud in the sky, and, and it was just like um, I'm baking in the salt water. I saw no boats. Yeah, searches were happening. You know, I didn't see. By then, I was on the western side of Kapiti Island, um, miles away from Mana, where the searches were. Many people were searching for Rob, officials as well as his family and friends. But the information they had about currents had sent them far from where he was. Rob had eaten the crayfish from his catch bag on the second night and had had no water to drink since before setting out for the dive that resulted in him being separated from his group. He drifted in and out of consciousness and his mind was racked with hallucinations about washing up on the shore, spending time with his partner and family and about his floating in the ocean being an afterlife punishment for the way he'd lived his life. Day four, I had a hallucination that I was in a big, big whirlpool. And to block the whirlpool, when I was getting sucked into it, to block it, I had to get rid of my flotation device. I took it off and I chucked it into this uh, whirlpool and then it blocked it up. After that, I woke up. And uh, I thought to myself, well, that's it. I'm starting to get rid of my gear. In hindsight, it could have been the last minutes and the last seconds of my life. All I wanted to do was figure out why my will of engagement was so strong and how can I beat it. You mean you were ready to surrender, but you couldn't? At that point in time, for four days, uh, I was fighting death. I was One, I was afraid of it. Two, I wasn't ready to go. At three minutes past four in the afternoon, on the 8th of February, yeah, I was ready to die. I stripped off all my gear, and then next minute my buddies from the Navy, they found my wetsuit hood. If Rob's exhaustion hadn't caused him to take off his entire wetsuit, he may never have been found. Someone up on the bridge said, hey, look, there's a log. They drove a little bit closer... Oh, no, it looks like a seal. Something's waving. must be a seal. They got closer, and they said, looked through the binoculars, and they said, no, no, that looks like someone in the water. Because my body was uh, covered in sea lice, they hosed me down with fresh water. All I wanted after 75 hours was a drink of water. I motioned to this pump water bottle. He gave me a drink of water, and I squeezed it down my throat, and I could feel I could feel it just running through. That's when I knew I was going to say my lesson was finished, but I guess my lesson was just starting. The diver Robert Hewitt has been found. He's been searching for Robert Hewitt, a former Navy diver. It's found floating off Manor Island. Family When Rob was finally rescued, he was conscious, dehydrated and in need of medical attention. 
After surviving three nights and four days in the sea, he stayed in hospital for just one night before being discharged. He was at the beginning of a path to recovery, but the sea had left an impression that would remain with him physically for months, and in other ways, for the rest of his life. For about nine months after I got rescued, I had um, hands, hand marks on my uh, body, you know, because uh, the skin was uh, translucent. And it took me about um, nine to ten months just to turn uh, that translucent back into good solid skin. So I entered the water at 95 kgs, and I left four days later at 115. It took me 11 months to get rid of the salt water from the body. Because when I'm lost out at sea, I'm the only one judging me. Now that I've survived, it's like everyone's judging me. So I've just got to go for a dive and just let it all go. Who's judging you about what? Oh, anything. It might be my failure as a husband. My son, he's got an issue with drugs and alcohol. My older daughter, she's over in Australia. I haven't seen her for eight years. She lives in Perth. As a father, I'm judging myself. I'm thinking people are looking at me strange, so I'm thinking they're judging me. Where I haven't even asked them, oh, what are you looking at, or what are you thinking? When I was lost out at sea and I was still in the Navy, all I was worried about was just materialistic stuff. I was a mouse on, on the big wheel, just turning and just doing my job. Now, I like my own company and, and I think a lot. And I found out that if I think positive and if I think strongly about something, that something will happen and it'll just roll out. In the past, I would fight it, whereas now, I just roll with it if it feels right. You would fight it because why? Because I didn't understand why did I survive. Why did you survive? Well, I still haven't found that out yet. While Rob's reason for surviving can feel like a mystery to him sometimes, it's easier to speculate about the reasons he was found. He was able to hold on much longer than most of us would because he understands the sea. As a professional diver and as someone with a cultural, spiritual connection to it. Some of his friends were Navy-trained searchers. His partner at the time was in the Army. One of his immediate family is a high-profile former member of the country's most admired sports team. Rob's family and friends were persistent, and in the weeks following his rescue, he learned more about the barriers and support they encountered when they desperately wanted to find him. What they wanted was the Navy divers to come down, but the Navy wouldn't give them permission to come down. After I got rescued, I found out quite a few things on on what had happened. Uh, One, I found out that the second day when I was lost out at sea, my my pay got stopped. Two days, 20 years of my life, and they stopped my pay. I also learned that the Prime Minister at the time, Helen Clark, she wrote a letter to, uh, to Norm, to my brother, and said, we're sorry for the family's uh, loss. Anything I can do, just please call my office. So Norm rings her office on the uh, maybe the third day and says, oh, we've got a problem with the Navy divers coming down on a formal capacity. Can you help? Half an hour later, the Navy rang up and said, we're on our way down. The, the sad thing for me is that not everyone's got a brother who can open those doors, who can push when things need to be pushed. Growing up as the brother of an all-black, 
you're there, but you're in the shadows of that. I think for the first couple of days, I, I had seen a lot of the um, interviews and I'd seen a lot of the uh, comments in the newspapers and so on. And the first thing that it mentioned within that first uh, paragraph or that first sentence was... The brother of the former All Black, Norm Hewitt, has been found alive three days after going missing off Mana Island near Wellington. It had to actually go through a process to identify who I was. Am I the, am I the uh, brother of a former All Black who survived 75 hours out at sea? Or am I the survivor uh, who survived 75 hours out at sea, uh, brother of former All Black, Norm Hewitt? After I got rescued, Norm said, right, he'll take charge of everything. Just, just get, get yourself sorted. And, and so he fielded all of the phone calls. He fielded uh, a lot of the media stuff. He said, yep, we'll do this, we won't do this. I, I, I was comfortable with him doing that because I knew that he'd been in that realm and, and that space before. you know. And at the end of the day, I trusted him. Uh, and then from there, you know, he rings up and he goes, oh, Oprah's just called. She wants you to go over there or she wants to do something. you know. Well, National Geographic. We've got National Geographic or Discovery Channel. And uh, he said, who should we go with? Nothing came from Oprah's call because Rob had signed a contract with National Geographic. He also shared his story with Discovery Channel years later because of exclusive contracts. If he was at a career crossroads at the time he went missing at sea, I think it's fair to say Rob's path is much clearer now. I think the person that I was before my survival or my lesson out at sea and the person that I am now are completely different. I knew that I always wanted to be this person that's, that's sitting here today. Since I left the Navy 10 years ago, I've only done this, this sort of stuff. I'm an ambassador for Water Safety New Zealand. Uh, I'm a lead tutor, the lead tutor for Kia Manu Kia Ora for Coast Guard Boating Education. Um, I'm an investigator for Maritime New Zealand or support Maritime New Zealand and I work for Awanui Arangi. And how much of those opportunities have have a link to your survival at sea? I would say all of it. it it's always there. It's always been there in me, you know, uh, to be in this space. But all I needed was just to walk through the door. Had you had any experience with public speaking or leadership or anything like that before you were rescued? I'd never had any formal um, lessons in public speaking. I, I look at people with DR, PhD, masters and all that, and I'm inspired by these guys. My mate and, and I, we've got QBEs. We'd get up and we'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, my name's Rob Hewitt, uh, I hold a QBE. And they go, oh, QBE, what's that, what's that? That must be the, the Queen's British Empire Medal. Did you get that while you were in the Navy? I said, no, no, QBE stands for Qualified by Experience. I've spoken to uh, thousands of different groups ar around the world a and the first thing I've got to do is I've got to find a connection. So the first time I spoke publicly about my survival was I think about four weeks later. An officer in the Navy, he was in charge of our dive team. At that point in time he, he had moved over to Maritime New Zealand and they were just having a conference. And he asked if I would be interested in going, going there to talk to them about my ordeal. Did you feel um, ready to do that? I, I didn't. I, I felt intimidated. 
you know. Every time I got up and spoke for the first couple of uh, first couple of times, it was about finding my feet. The story's the same, uh, and, and encapsulated around that story is the different tikanga. So it might be might be goal setting. It might be pushing through barriers. It might just be um, how did I connect with the sea life? What was my body going through, you know, and, and my mindset? Um, what was it like seeing your body deteriorate and, um, and the fingernails come off and your skin get translucent? More than 10 years after what he calls his lesson at sea, Rob continues to explore different ways to make sense of his experience. Writing a book and also speaking about it and doing documentaries on TV are all different parts for me to express myself but also to heal. When I was lost out at sea, the thing that I was scared of the most was death. Uh, I've embraced death to a point where uh, I'm quite content, you know. But when I go for a dive, there is a part of me that thinks, okay, I've got to be careful here and I've got to show respect. And if I don't, then Tangaroa might just grab me and that could be it. The most helpful thing of my recovery and healing is when I actually get back into the water. Every time I get back into the water for a dive, it's about finding that that, that silence. I got back into the water three months after I got rescued and we went back to the same position, the latitude, longitude of where I was rescued and, and went in for a dive. When I surfaced after that, just for a split second, I thought the last three months was a hallucination and that I was back out at sea, just for a split second. And and my dive buddies uh, could hear it and the way that I was breathing, you know, because I was panicking, I was panting. As soon as I felt that hand on the shoulder and I looked at my dive buddy, I knew that, um, that I'd be all right. You've been listening to Fathom. If you want to know more of Rob Hewitt's story, he wrote a book about his experience. It's called Treading Water. You can find past episodes of Fathom at rnz.co.nz in the series and podcast section. And while you're there, we invite you to dip into any of the other great RNZ podcasts. This story was produced by me, Nick Javi waldrum with engineering by Phil Benge. Duncan Smith is Fathom's executive producer. Thank you for listening to Fathom, a production for RNZ National. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.